Hi, welcome to the On My Way podcast. I'm your host, Christiana, and these are the stories of the next generation of leaders, CEOs, and industry experts. I'm so excited to be here with Hannah today, who in just five years of her career already has a great story. She's a 2014 graduate of Penn State, works in marketing, specifically in sports, and has such drive and determination in everything she does. So Hannah, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself before we get into all the questions? Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me. Um, So hi, my name's Hannah, and I'm marketing manager at DAZN, and I work on our fight sports content. It means that I work on all of our creative advertising campaigns that come out and are consumer-facing, so anything that tells you why you should be watching DAZN. Um, And DAZN is a sports streaming service. Globally, we are like the Netflix for sports, you could say. Here in the U.S., we focus on fight sports, so boxing and MMA. Um, I previously worked in boxing, so at the moment, I'm currently our boxing marketing expert I guess you could say and I work anywhere between 40 and 60 hours a week depending on if I work weekends or not and do you work weekends if there's events yeah so I travel for our live boxing events often um in the past two months I've traveled five weekends I believe so those weekends I'm working most of the day Saturday and Saturday night for the live event Okay, so we'll get into the events in a bit, but Mm -hmm. I just first want to figure out how you got to where you are. So when I was looking you up and researching a bit, I realized that your first true job out of college was an executive assistant position, which to me was surprising because I realized not always do executive assistant positions come to fruition and actually do what your boss is doing. So can you give me a little bit of background about is that the typical role is that the typical path like how do people get to where they are um I don't know that it's necessarily typical um I do think that that job gave me the best setup for where I am today um I started as an executive assistant under the head of Showtime Sports so I was working next to him through large boxing deals big huge pay-per-view events and the thing about being an executive assistant especially with Um, a role model like the boss that I had is the ability to learn every department, not just one. Um, So I kind of knew that I wanted to head in the marketing direction, but being at that desk gave me the ability to look at production and PR and social media and digital and marketing and really take it all in and learn. Um, I think it all depends on who your boss is. Um, Mm -hmm. He, I was very fortunate that Um, Steven saw my career aspirations and knew the direction I wanted to head with my career and he helped me grow to that point. Um, I think if you were in an EA role and your boss wasn't a mentor in that way, it would be a little tough. But if you are fortunate enough to be with someone who understands you want to learn, then it's a perfect step into the world, especially in sports because you're everything moves a mile a minute so that's the best place to see it all so i probably should have asked this first but your boss's title was um he was the executive vice president of showtime sports and entertainment at showtime 
now he is the president of Showtime Sports and Entertainment. So were they looking for a recent college grad where they were looking for his EA? Or did you interview and they're like, oh, you might be a really good fit for this role? Um, what's funny is actually the person who was in the role before me was a recent college grad. She actually also graduated from Penn State, which is where I graduated from. Um, I don't know that they were necessarily looking for a recent college grad, but he, from what I know of him and what he said to me, it was that he was looking for someone who was going to take on more tasks and do more rather than just be a answer the phone, handle the calendar kind of person. So I think whether it was a recent college grad or just like a couple steps out of your, out of college, but it was still like that go-getter attitude that he was searching for. You said that someone with a very similar background to you had your job before you. Is mm-hmm. that how you found out about it? Yep. Um, she, I didn't know her at all. Um, her name's Katie. She sent the job posting back to some professors of mine, and I got it through a random job listserv um, through the Penn State College of Communications, and I saw the job posting come through, and I was like, oh my god, this is my job, because I had been looking for like the sports move that I wanted to make, mm-hmm. and I sent all my stuff in, and then I creeped her on LinkedIn and was that stalker girl that was like, hi, Katie, my name's Hannah, I love your job. Um, can you tell me, what can you tell me about it? I just love to learn more. Not a, can you help me get it? It was mm-hmm. just a, like, teach me more about it. Um, and I got on the phone with her. We talked about it. She sent, I sent her a bunch of questions and then she made sure that my resume got in front of her boss. I interviewed two days later and then got the offer three days after that and moved to New York two weeks following. Oh my gosh. So that was quick. It was so fast. I, it all happened within, like, a month span. Had you already graduated at this point? Yeah, I was already graduated. I had one job in between college and Showtime that was a temporary marketing event position. Okay. Mm. So you were at Showtime for a total of four years? Just about. I think a, a little over three and a half. So yeah. Okay, so what was your career projection when you were there? Um, I started as an executive assistant. I was that position for a year and a half. And then I moved up to marketing coordinator. I really lucked out. The sports team at Showtime was very small, and the uh, woman who was in the marketing role had decided to move and take another job somewhere else, so that position opened, and I was like, here's my shot. Um, so I moved up to marketing coordinator after that. I Can I in- stop you for a second? Uh-huh. So did you have to interview for that job? Um, no. I went to... When I found out she was leaving, I went straight to the woman who was above that role, um, who became my next boss and was and expressed interest in the role and was like, I don't know what your process is. I'd love to talk to you about it, everything. And then I did the same thing with my current boss, who was Steven. And um, I, I said, like, I'm really interested in this role. This is where I want to go. And they both said, like, we'll talk about it. We'll discuss. And then they came back to me and, were, and they were basically like, we'd love for you to take the step into this coordinator role and grow your career with us and be part of the Showtime sports team and stay here. Okay. So that was great. So awesome. no, I didn't have to interview. Okay. So then I interrupted you. So no, after no. marketing coordinator. After marketing coordinator, I moved up to marketing manager. So that was another, I was a two years at marketing coordinator, mm-hmm. um, almost to the day actually. And then I moved up to marketing manager. I was marketing manager for three months at Showtime, maybe four. And then I got poached to DAZN, okay. which is where I am now. So let's go into that story. Because I, when we were talking before, you gave a really interesting perspective I thought on the difference between moving internally and getting poached so I actually just listened to a really interesting podcast I think it was the recode 
media podcast yeah. with Peter Kafta, uh-huh. and he was interviewing John Skipper, who is the ex-CEO, correct? Uh, of ESPN? Of ESPN, yeah. yeah. Now, currently, the head of DAZN. So, anyways, yeah. going back to that, not only am I fascinated by your story of this, I think DAZN is a really cool company. Yeah. So, can you, like, go into that whole process? Absolutely. Um, so, because I was already in the boxing world, I had I knew what DAZN was, which mm-hmm. is uncommon in the U.S., or was at the time, um, because it hadn't launched here. So, I received a... Link, I call it a creepy LinkedIn message from a recruiter that was, um, she asked, she was reached out and sent me one of those cryptic messages that was like, hi, I have this company that's kind of like the Netflix for sports and is coming to the US and blah, 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 blah. And I knew immediately that it was DAZN and I responded and I was like, are you talking about DAZN? I'd love to take the call. Like, yeah. of course. Um, so I spoke with the recruiter and she was like, you, you know what DAZN is? And I was like, yeah, I, I work in fight sports. Like I work in boxing. That's normal for me. Um, and she was like, oh, cool, great. So I spoke with her. Um, the next day I went into the DAZN office, met with my now boss, her name is Lala, um, and an additional couple people from the team. And they really sold me on the people, the culture, the where DAZN is going. Mm-hmm. Um, and then taking a step back from like an internal standpoint, for me, it was like, oh my God, here I am at this like crossroads point of I'm with a company that I absolutely love and adore working with people that I see the world of and like absolutely love working with. And I think they're great in their great in this industry. And here's this cool new company that has opportunity and room to grow and it's a global organization and they're not going to just be fight sports. They're going to expand across mm-hmm. um, other sports or at least that's the goal. So I kind of took a step back and was like, I think this is the right move for me. It's going to bring me a lot of new challenges. It's going to give me an opportunity to spread my wings for lack of a better mm-hmm. cheesy term and really take the knowledge that I have from Showtime and like what I understand of the boxing industry and add on top of it the streaming and TV and all of this. Um, the other thing that's really cool about DAZN is it is strictly in the OTT streaming space. So where cable and television is going, I never thought I would be in entertainment. My mm-hmm. goal was always sports first, and I just got the entertainment for as a side dish. Yeah. Um, so moving to a company that is streaming forward and like really where the TV industry is going is so cool to me. And it runs... It's like a startup here. It didn't launch when I was at DAZN. I started at DAZN in July, and we didn't launch until September 10th. So I spent the first two months of my job just preparing to launch this app into a very um, mature streaming market in hopes that all of this boxing knowledge that I had from Showtime was going to help me do that at DAZN. Sorry, very long-winded answer. No. (laughs) Good, because I think... Before meeting with you, I didn't yeah. know what DAZN was. Not right. that I really, like, watch a lot of pay-per-view fighting, <laughs> like but that. the podcast, um, on the podcast, John was explaining how, like, just buds with John, John <laughs> was explaining how for nine ninety nine a month, yes, you can literally just subscribe to DAZN and get every single fight that yeah. they're offering. Exactly. Whether that's, like, just one fighter who I think you're, you've signed a lot of really big names at this point, right? Yeah, so we're at a point where it's really cool. Um, on DAZN right now, there's Matchroom Boxing USA, which Matchroom's a big UK boxing brand, and they're okay. really growing in the US, so they're signing fighters. Um, Golden Boy Boxing, um, which is has Canelo Alvarez, which is the big pay-per-view star that we just yeah. signed. Um, 
we have Bellator, we have World Bellator's MMA, World Boxing Super Series, which is this like giant tournament of boxing, which yeah. is actually really cool for like a hardcore fight fan. I sound like such a fight nerd right now. And then Combate Americas, and then we have a ton of other smaller fight rights that, that come on the platform as well. Yeah. The pay-per-view thing is really cool because typically when you would watch a Canelo fight, you'd shell out seven anywhere from 60 to 80 bucks yeah. to watch one fight. You pay for it, you're done. Um, the deal with Canelo is he's going to be on our platform for the next five years and it's nine ninety nine a month. There's no additional yeah. cost. So basically for yeah. 120 bucks a year, you can get as many fights as he's doing just for that one fighter in addition to everything else. Exactly. Whether, and that's only 40 bucks, most yeah. likely more than the one fight that you were able to watch in 2017. Exactly. Exactly. Makes sense from like a business model <laughs> perspective. Yeah. It's um, really cool. But I also remember him touching on the fact that DAZN has all of the Japanese soccer rights. Yeah. So is that like what you were talking about of if you ever want to branch out into not just fight sports, the larger picture? Yeah. So um, globally, DAZN has, DAZN has launched in Japan, Germany. You're really testing my knowledge here. Um, Italy. There's a couple others. Um, we'll Canada. Various, <laughs> various countries. countries. But... We, they have different rights in all those different territories. Um, so it depends on what rights that yeah. zone owns in each area. Um, in the U.S. right now, we only own fight sports. We did just sign another deal with MLB to mm-hmm. produce a content show. It's not Is this games. like breaking news on, on my way podcast? <laughs> kind of, a little bit. It, was, it broke, I think, two weeks ago. So okay. it's pretty, pretty fresh. It's breaking news on On My Way podcast. <laughs> um, in the U.S., it won't just be fight sports forever, okay. which is why I was yeah. excited and intrigued by the idea. I come from college football, so yeah. I love boxing, and I am a diehard boxing fan these days. But for me, it's not just bo- the sport of boxing that I love. It's sports in general. But globally, DAZN does have a ton of sports rights, um, especially a lot with soccer all over the globe, which is pretty interesting. So what does fight sports entail? Fight sports entails boxing, which is your traditional Mike Tyson boxing, or MMA, which is your combat, like, in the cage, in the octagon, Mm -hmm. UFC-style, Conor McGregor-style fight. Okay, so UFC is, like, a platform, kind of, or, like... UFC is a... A brand A brand in MMA that is not on the zone at the moment, Um, but Bellator is the equivalent to UFC and they do the same fights same okay. kind of sport onto them got it so what did you want to be or do when you were in high school and is it anything related to your current role and what you're doing with your life right now um this is actually a really good question and a very funny answer I came out of high school going into college I was an education major and I was going to teach kindergarten and that was my plan um specifically kindergarten uh, I really liked kindergarten yeah okay. Um, so I wanted to teach early childhood education was what it was called at Penn State. Um, and I was in that major my freshman year and into my sophomore year. And then I realized I was working in sports marketing and recruiting for Penn State football. I was working in public relations for Penn State's charity dance marathon. And I hated all of my classes. Um, so I kind of had an epiphany moment and I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Why am I studying something that I don't enjoy? 
Um, and I also got peed on in preschool class. And I was like, you know what? I think this is where I, this is where I tap out. So um, when was this during your college career? This was my fall semester, sophomore year. Okay. So I had done one year of education, but I was working in sports and PR. Okay. Um, and then I went to a college of communications advisor at Penn State and was like, help me. Mm-hmm. I want to change my major. This is what I do. I want to study something that goes with the jobs that I have. And they gave me all my options and they were like, you can do public relations and communications or you can go to the business school and look at marketing. And for me, from a timing standpoint, a resource, like... It made no sense to be there longer than the four years that mm-hmm. I had originally planned. Um, so I could do public relations and I could also get an integrated art degree in the four years that I had originally intended on being at school. Or I could have done marketing, which would have taken me a little bit longer and mm-hmm. I would have had to take accounting and I'm very bad at math. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stick with communication, okay. pick up some extra skills at the same time. Um, so I changed my major middle of sophomore year, essentially. And I switched into public relations classes, and then I took graphic design and photography classes. So it's a pretty common thing to change your major in college. I know I changed mine. I I went from accounting and finance to finance. (laughs) Ooh, Um, big big move. (laughs) Yeah, really big change. Um, But you set about it in a way that was very thought out and mature beyond, like, a 20-year-old's perspective. So... Because not everyone realizes, like, oh, like, my work-study internship is actually what I want to do with my life that early on. They just realize, like, oh, it's really fun to work for Penn State football, like, (laughs) but I always wanted to be an education major. So I want to go back to how you got those internships. Like, was that a, oh my gosh, this is so cool, I want to surround myself with these people? Or is it, I need a work-study, like, I'd rather, like, do an internship where I'm interacting with Penn State football instead of just swiping people into the gym. (laughs) That's a really good way to put it. Um, Okay, so the way I ended up at Penn State football is actually a funny, interesting story as well. My mom had a advertising intern at her, the ad agency that she worked at in Pittsburgh, which is where I'm from, um, who worked for Penn State football. And she was leaving the internship because she was giving up all of her weekends and she had no time to have Mm -hmm. a life. And she was telling my mom about it. And my mom was like, oh, my daughter really likes sports. Like, I'm going to tell her to reach out. Um, So I reached out to the boss of the other girl and was like, hi, my name's Hannah. I'd really be, I would really love to talk to you about this internship. I heard that there might be some openings, yada, yada, yada. Introduced myself and he says, great, come meet me tomorrow we'll talk through it and if there's openings we can talk. I'm like, okay. So I go into the office, meet with this then recruiting operations person and he's like, fantastic. I'm going to put your name. This is my freshman year of college. Sorry okay. for context. So like freshman year fall is fall. when football season's going on. Yeah. Football okay. season was just like coming to an end. It was like maybe November um, of the fall. It was okay. around this time. Um, so he was like, I'll put your name on the list and I'll reach out to you in the spring when we start doing all of our big recruiting days, which are like official visits when guys come to campus. So it's like actually recruiting the players of, when you say recruiting, it's recruiting the players to play Penn State football and convince them that playing at Penn State is better than playing anywhere else in the world. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Sorry, I forget that that's like a totally weird world and not many people. Yeah, I went to a school with 5,000 kids and like a football (laughs) team that was basically a glorified high school team. Oh. No offense to any P5 
people who are listening, you were a very good football player, but it was a different world. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, at Penn State, they have a full-blown organization, and it's honestly changed a lot since when I had this internship to mm-hmm. now, um, but they have a ton of interns that literally do exactly that, recruit players out of high school to play at Penn State, and they make sure that they get all that, the material that they need to understand why Penn State is the right choice for them, mm-hmm. what they're doing, um, showing them that like Penn State's culture is where they want to be, making sure that they understand that this coach is going to make you the best player mm-hmm. and give you the best opportunity to go to the NFL, um, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So jumping back to where I was telling you the story, I never got an email from this guy in the spring, and I'm like, oh my god, Yeah. what happened? Like, I thought we were good. I was like, I was so bummed. And you're also like an 18-year-old freshman. You're like, if someone says they'll email me back, <laughs> they're gonna totally going to email me back. <laughs> exactly. I was just like so crushed, and I was like, okay. So I'm just like, well, I don't know what else to do at this point. I tried to figure out who was the next person, mm-hmm. but I couldn't. I emailed him a couple times, no response. Okay, like, so you did follow up. Yeah, I followed up, nothing. And then maybe two weeks after I like had finally given up on following up, I mm-hmm. get an email from a different guy mm-hmm. that has a l- bunch of other um, people on it, and it says, hey team, is anybody available on Saturday to give tours and do X, Y, and Z with these recruits that are coming to town? Um, let me know if you're available. Thanks. And I responded to the email, and I was like, hi, my name's Hannah. I spoke with so-and-so before. I thought I had this job, but I don't really know what's going on, and, but I would love it, and I'm also free Saturday. Like, yeah. um, Just, like, really raising your hand, but yeah. also, by the way, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, I have no yeah. idea what this is. Um, so, luckily, this guy responded and said to me, and he was like, oh, sorry, like, come into the office, your name was on the list, I'll, mm-hmm. let's chat. So, was he a new boss? He was a new boss, okay. yeah. He basically had replaced the guy that was there mm-hmm. before, and I just didn't know that there was a change in staff. I mean, how would you? Right, exactly. It's not like it's, like, publicized. Um, So I went and met with him, and he was like, okay, great, awesome. You can be on our game day team. So when I, that, this was still, for context, when Joe Paterno was coach at Penn State. Okay. Um, This is before the whole scandal happened. I, so I did official visit days, which are when guys come to campus on the weekend, and they tour with their parents and Mm -hmm. do all of that stuff. And then I did game day visit days. So I did... Every Saturday that following fall, which mm-hmm. was my sophomore year, I was on the field talking to parents, talking to families, making sure that every question they could possibly ask about being a student at Penn State was answered. Okay. Everything from their majors to like what it feels like to be a student at a school that has 45,000 kids versus a school that has 5,000 yeah. um, and all of that. Did you have any training whatsoever on that? Because I know... I can only tailor it to, like, my experience, but I, yeah. I do know that there was some sort of training and almost, like, public relations training mm-hmm. that our um, tour guides had yeah. to go through. So, did you have any sort of that, or was it, like, kind of along the same lines of the in- email, just, here's your job, figure it out, we know <laughs> you're smart, and you can do a good job at it? Um, I think it was a little bit of both. They actually, We actually did the training that the tour guides do okay. at Penn State. Um, for PR reasons, yeah. and also just like from a like, you also learn all the like funny facts, and all like, the random yeah. facts. Oh, I still give like random Penn State facts to people, and everyone's like, "How do you know?" Okay, that? what's your best Penn State fact? The one I give most often is that we are the only university that has 
a stadium named after a president and a library named after a football coach. Because our Beaver Stadium, yeah. uh, Beaver was the last name of one of our former college presidents. Okay. Not, sorry, not U.S. presidents, college presidents. Yeah. And then Paterno Library is named after Joe Paterno. And that stayed. And that stayed. Yes. Okay. It's uh, Petit and Paterno Library, but yeah. Yeah. We don't have to go into, like, scandals. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. You're good. <laughs> I'm, I'm well-versed this in responses. This is a different school. podcast. Um, so, you were on the field with... Guys and their parents, and these yeah. are like what 16, 17 year old 16, guys. 17 year old. Like, they're high probably juniors too. or they're seniors. Um, sophomores and juniors, typically. Sophomores and juniors. By the time they're seniors, they are yeah, likely committed, right? nearly decided on yeah. where they're going. This was so. What's funny is removing the scandal, but the scandal affects this whole yeah. my whole role. Um, after the scandal happened, Bill O'Brien came in to Penn State and I went to my boss and was like, Hey, I'd like to work more. Like, I want to be in the office, I want to do more stuff and he was like fantastic we're starting an internship program where we're gonna have interns in the office x amount of hours a week what what do you want to do okay so (laughs) were you not considered an intern your first season i was still considered an intern but i was a game day intern so i only worked did you get paid no i did get paid later in my did you get class credit no so you really did this solely because you were like i'm passionate about this yeah i think it's I mean, I like football to a smaller degree, and I would think that as a Penn State student, it's really cool to go on the field every Saturday, yeah. even if you do have to work for it. Unpaid, giving up your time. Yeah. I mean... Do you think that helped you lead into a paid position? Because you were like, look 100%. how dedicated I was when I wasn't paid, but like I cannot do this 30 hours a week and get my good grades. Yeah. I yeah. need to get paid or something along those lines. Exactly. I'm actually exactly... What you just said is pretty much how it happened. I was working in the office mm-hmm. um, later on in my years at Penn State Football. And I was also working at Starbucks because I needed a paycheck. <laughs> um, and I was taking classes. So at one point I was maybe in the football office 10, 15 hours a week. Okay. Um, That's still a decent amount. Which is a lot, yeah. And I said to, or my boss said, I, I really need you to be here more. He's like, you you handle a lot of stuff and like I just need you like to be able to do more hours. And I was like, I can do more hours, but I don't get paid here and I have to have a job where I get paid. Like yeah. I need a paycheck. So if you pay me, I'll quit Starbucks and you can have all the hours that I spend at Starbucks here. Yeah. And he was like, okay, what do you make at Starbucks? And I told him and he's like, great. Well, I didn't tell him exactly what I made. I told him a little bit higher negotiation. And um, he was like, great. I can give you, I can confirm that hourly pay for 20 hours a week but I'm expecting you to be here 30 I'm like that's fine like solid done so I kind of went in and was like I want to be here more I'm happy to be here more but I I need to be compensated for my time (laughs) definitely was any part of that experience uncomfortable for you or are you pretty comfortable saying like what you need versus what you think potentially someone wants to hear um, I'm pretty comfortable saying what I need, and I'm also, I it was like the honest to god truth. So yeah. it's not like I was like trying to mm-hmm. BS him to get more, like to get money. It was yeah. literally like I cannot be here more because I have to have a paycheck. Yeah. And I was also like I worked with him every single day, so he knew me mm-hmm. well enough to know that I wasn't like just trying to get a paycheck for no reason. It was literally like this is the only option I have, so yeah. it's either take it or leave it. And it was just like straight honesty, which is typically how I try to do things anyway. So it, I'm, 
I'm pretty comfortable voicing my opinion or thoughts. So I, I think then that moment was probably when I realized like, oh, you actually can stand up and say, hey, I need this Mm -hmm. in order to do something, which is, was not something I understood before that point, probably. I think that this is a little bit of a deviation from our overall career story, but I think that having an opportunity and if you look at it like that as being an opportunity where you have to say to someone when you're in college, hey, I need this yeah. in order to do a better job for you, yeah, may make it a little bit less scary yeah. when it's your actual career yeah. and you have to do that. Exactly. So I remember I was talking to someone and they've never had like anything wrong with their boss before and they're in their third job. Oh, wow. So imagine having to stand up for yourself. Yeah for the first time yeah. after having so much time built up that yeah. that in and of itself is almost the most valuable thing depending on what eyes you look at it out of your internship is that you learned how to be an employee before you actually needed to have a career. Absolutely. Um, I, I say this all the time and I think that everything I learned at Penn State football, it, it runs like a full-blown corporation. Yeah. It's not just like I a mean, football I mean, it brings team. in billions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. It's a monstrous corporation, and I learned so unbelievably much from that internship, and I genuinely believe that it set me up for crisis PR, how to negotiate, like, being an employee. It taught me how to manage people. Like, at a point, I was in charge of scheduling the other interns, so, like, even though I wasn't telling them what they were doing, I still had to manage their needs and times and whatever. Yeah. Um, it taught me time management. I literally ran myself ragged when I was in college. So I, everything in my life was planned down to an absolute last second. And everything I learned from that internship has set me up tremendously to be able to do what I do now. Yeah. Um, especially to the biggest thing from it is it was recruiting. So it was forming relationships, keeping relationships and like, understanding why people where people are coming from and mm-hmm. I think that that's one of the best skills that I could have learned that at that point in my career because I still use it now everything I learned in recruiting about listening to people and hearing what they're saying and retaining that information helps me to have good relationships with clients partners agencies whoever it is now mm-hmm. um and like that's a skill that it's it's irreplaceable to like not be able to like hold relationships with people. Like that's probably the best career skill I have and I learned it at Penn State Football. Do you think you made any sacrifices that set you apart from other people? 100%. Um, I think when I was in college, the biggest sacrifice I made was giving up my time and a lot of my like life, mm-hmm. <laughs> not for lack of a better term. I spent every Saturday working and I was working from 6 a.m. until sometimes 10 p.m., um, all through my college career. Uh, so I sacrificed a lot of nights out. I sacrificed a lot of like fun things with my friends, but I wouldn't change it. And I'm Mm -hmm. so glad that I did it because it's, it's set me up to be where I am today. And honestly, all the friends that I work that also were working with me then I'm still close with a lot of them. So even though I wasn't doing the like typical college tailgate all day, drinking, whatever, I still got a good experience out of it. So even though you weren't necessarily with the group of people that were experiencing that one side of Penn State, you were still with other current students that uh-huh. were just working the football program as well. Yep, absolutely. So it's I... just a different subset of friends. Exactly. And they're probably better off 
Maybe right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of them are. They all have killer jobs, and maybe and I sh- honestly should connect you with some of them. Yeah. Like one I'll of my best friends from Penn State football works at Under Armour, and she just crushes it. She's the bomb. Amazing. Yeah. So that leads me to my next question. Do your personal and professional networks overlap? Um, I don't see them as separate networks, really. Okay. Um, for me, I kind of look at it like... I have one massive network and mm-hmm. you never know what where things are going to crisscross. Like for example, how you and I met, like I don't consider you my professional network and you were you're a step outside of my original personal network, yeah. but now you're part of my personal network and we're talking about professional things. So it's just the, I, the answer is yes, there's overlap. Everybody overlaps, yeah. um, but I kind of like to look at every all of my friends the same way with a like how how can other people in my life help them? I love connecting people when mm-hmm when I can to other people that can help them in their career or life or whatever. Some of my best contacts are my best friends who do, have nothing to do with sports. And it's just because they have a, an intelligent set that I don't have. Mm-hmm. And they help me more than anything because they fill in the gaps where I don't know how to do things. Or, so they're really good advice givers. Yeah. They're good advice givers. And they're say I'm working on a project and I, for example, if I need to do stuff with paid social media ads. Mm -hmm. I understand that and I work in that daily, but I don't know the purchasing side of that. I have a friend who works in paid social and she is an absolute genius with it. So whenever I come across a bump with that kind of stuff, I call her and I'm like, hey, I think this is right. Yeah. Can you just talk me through it? Okay. And um, things like that. So what do people call you with questions about? Um, I get a lot of calls for connections to connect people with other people um from within both sides of my network both professional and personal I get a lot of calls for graphic design help right now everybody's working on their personal brand and we're all very like attuned to like what we look like in the world online especially um and because I have graphic design skills I end up helping a lot of people there um and the other thing that I get a lot of calls from college asking me to do exactly what I'm doing with you talk Mm -hmm. through how I got where I am why I why I'm in sports or whatever um but yeah yeah you mentioned you're gonna speak to some Penn State students that your professor and your professors led you to that opportunity or task however you want to put it yeah um, so I think that for me, the two professors that I keep closest contact with are both from the College of Communications. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I had his class my sophomore year. It was a news writing class. It was one of my first classes in the PR major that I had. And the reason I formed a relationship with him in class was honestly because of my internship, I missed class occasionally. So I, at the beginning of every semester when I started a class, I would go and kind of feel out my teacher on like what their appetite was if I missed a class because I was still at work or if I was going to have to like make sure I ran to this class because mm-hmm. they were going to deduct me points or whatever. Yeah. Um, and he worked in sp- sports in different facets in the university so he understood and we just kind of clicked because we had similar interests and I was like very upfront and I one day he literally called me out in class for watching a kid commit to his college mm-hmm. and I was like watching it with my headphones on he's like I see you can you just turn the volume up so everybody else knows if he came to Penn State or not and I was like <laughs> sure um so that was sophomore year and I've just always gone back and I actually interned for him as well when I was in college briefly for one semester he needed office help and okay. I had a free five hours a week which is shocking to me these days but I so I just I just keep keep him in the loop with my life um 
So whenever something big happens or I switch jobs or whatever, mm-hmm. or if I know that there's a job open below or like entry level, I'll send it back to him and be like, hey, mm-hmm. FYI, I know that someone so is looking for an assistant or a coordinator for marketing yeah. or PR or whatever. Let me know if you know anybody. And sometimes, so I like use him as a network filter too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then you don't really feel like you're asking things of people all the time. Yeah, exactly. Or you're, you almost feel like you're helping them even though in turn, they are actually probably helping you fill that role. Exactly. So it's just, it's just a matter of finding places where they're so relevant. And then the other professor I actually never had in class. I just met him through sports at Penn State. Okay. Um, and he just keeps me on his radar. I'm, I don't speak to him as much as the first professor. Um, but anytime he has an event, I'm just one of his people that I, he knows. I, I always respond. I'm also very good with responsive, being responsive. So he knows I'll respond. He knows if I can show up, I'll show up. So I'm just always in his loop of people that he calls when he needs alumni for something. And then I do the same thing with him. I inform him when I get a promotion or new job or whatever. And you're just like, hey, hope all is well. By the way, switching companies. Yeah. Wanted to let you know. like, if Literally exactly yeah. that. It's just... Uh, Hey, like, don't know what's up with you, but I just got a new job. Super excited about it. Here's what I'm doing now. If you need anything in this industry or, well, my industry has never changed or, like, whatever, let me know. Like, happy to reach out or whatnot. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I I think that people maybe make it bigger than it actually is. Yeah. And tying it down to that, like, just sending open items or open searches and just updates then when you want to make your next step, you realize they have a bigger network than you if you need people from their network. And yeah. also you'll get those recommendations going back to college, which yeah. I think are really valuable if you want to make a switch and maybe your current company is like mo- more than likely not open to that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is a pretty obvious question. So I'm going to phrase it differently. What is your workout routine? <laughs> not do you have one? <laughs> Um, so my workout routine is pretty involved these days, actually. I'm a huge fitness junkie. Like, that's what I like to do outside of work. It's kind of my mental escape. Um, when people ask, people often ask if I meditate, and I think you will probably ask me that, and the answer is no, and I'm often told that I should. Because you're so hyper? Because I'm so, like, all over the place with things that I'm doing. Um, and I'm so just, like, high energy. Um, so I don't meditate, but I use fitness to like, kind of like, it gives me a chance to clear my mind. Um, I go in the morning. Oh, go ahead. The people, do the people who tell you you should meditate actually meditate themselves? (laughs) Um, one claims that he does. (laughs) The others, no. Going back to my workout routine, I use that as my like escape from Mm -hmm. all the stuff that I'm doing. Um. I used to box religiously, so okay. I box like four days a week. Um, one, because it helped me learn the sport when I was working in it, yeah. and two, because it's just an awesome total body workout. I hurt my hands, so I can't go as often as I used to, but okay. I still try to get there, get to a boxing gym at least to hit a heavy bag like once every couple weeks. So what came first, working in fight sports or boxing yourself? Working in fight sports. Okay. Um, I was looking for a new workout routine, and my old boss suggested boxing and was like, you should go try it. It's really good, and I think you'll like it. Mm-hmm. And it's I not went, just for, like, these fights, like, the big week fights. It can be it, brought down to, like, the exactly. normal consumer level. And I mean, if you see, if you look at anywhere in New York now, like, oh, boxing, boxing is, like, huge. the new cool workout so to do. So were you, like, ahead of the trend when you started boxing? I was were boxing. Like Adriana Wima status? <laughs> I was boxing before Rumble opened and before... 
before Shadowbox opened. So I think that's pretty fair. Those are like the two yeah. trendy ones. Um, You're ahead of the trend. Yeah, I try to be. Um, but my workout routine, aside from boxing, is I'm a morning person, as you know. I get up at like 5.45, 6, and I take a really clean pre-workout supplement that mm-hmm. my friend created that is awesome and helps me focus and get caffeine. Um, it's called Bia. Shameless plug for her. Yeah, and go check it out. Follow on Instagram. <laughs> and then... I go lift. So I actually have a lifting routine. I lift three days a week and I run um, I run paired with two of those lift days. And then I try to do yoga once a week, which, and when I say try, that's a really big stretch. I never really make it. I'm going to try to go after this today, though. Okay. So I know when you were at Showtime, you had the opportunity to be part of some really amazing events and experiences. One being Mayweather Pacquiao. Mm-hmm. So that was a big enough fight that I watched it. <laughs> yeah. So what what did you do for that fight? Mm-hmm. Were you just a spectator and your company happened to run the fight? Or, like, you were totally negotiating contracts and, <laughs> and making sure that the right people were part of that fight? Um, I was definitely not a spectator. <laughs> I was still the assistant to the head of sports at Showtime at this time. So I kind of shepherded everything that came across his desk Mm -hmm. um which was everything from making sure contracts got signed to marketing materials being approved we also Mayweather Pacquiao was an interesting one we worked with HBO Mm -hmm. which is unheard of in the boxing pay-per-view space pretty much why um because typically one network puts on something um and like Showtime and HBO are typically competitors so for them to work together would be like what the heck yeah exactly um HBO had ownership over Pacquiao, Showtime had ownership over Mayweather um, from, like, uh, contracts that they held with the two networks, so that's how they ended up coming together as one, which presented a whole nother challenge side to everything, because Showtime was the premier broadcaster, um, but HBO still had say Mm -hmm. and everything else, Um, so I dealt with a lot of that relationship management and such. the best stuff from that fight, though, is the actual week of the fight. So during a fight week, there is the weigh-in where they stand on the scale, there's the press conference, there's the actual fight. I don't know how many hours I actually slept that week. It was definitely not many. Um, one really cool thing about working under the head of the department at that time is you handle all the VIP ticketing. So I was the... We basically had a map of the MGM Grand Arena with all the seats, and it was as big as this wall, and we we took our request list of tickets, or not request list, people who had purchased tickets from us, and seated them all. But mm-hmm. you have to seat them. Keep in mind, this was the biggest sporting event in, like, So this is, like, going years. back to your PR days. Yeah, literally. It was. And then, it's funny, because I don't work in PR now, but I was doing not necessarily talent management, but VIP relations, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, so we seated everybody, but you have to look at them in priority. And it's like, can LeBron sit two rows ahead of Michael Strahan? Or does Beyonce need to sit on this side? Or where is the security for this person? Um, so we went through that entire week seating and reseating and then taking the physical tickets and packaging them up and then contacting all of their agents and representatives and security teams and 
on the day of the actual Mayweather Pacquiao fight, I started working on ticket packing and giving and seating at 7 a.m. because we were waiting for confirmation for where seats would be. Mm-hmm. The fight started at 6. I literally handed my last ticket off at 6.05. And was I was nonstop all day. And it was really cool because it was... I, w- I got to meet a bunch of awesome people. I, I handed Michael Strahan his tickets. I made sure that P. Diddy got in the door. Like, I was running down a hallway and, honest to God, ran past Beyonce and didn't even notice that it was her because I was so busy and so just, like, on a mission, and that's how it was. Um, and then once the fight actually started, I sat. I had a – there was an empty seat on the floor, and I sat, and I watched the fight, and I honestly was so exhausted I nearly fell asleep. But – um, and not for nothing, that fight was a slow-moving fight, and everybody in the world will tell you that. But it was, it was an awesome experience. And like when I finally got to sit in my seat, I try to do this at every event that I work, and I'm not as good about it now. Take it all in. I mm-hmm. like sat down and was like, "Oh my god, this is like the Super Bowl of Super Bowls." Because yes. every celebrity, every single and they, person, they paid for their tickets. Yeah. Um, no one got free tickets to Mayweather Pacquiao. They were all, um, some of them were negotiated because they were in commercials, but yeah. other than that, um. So, like, you all pay the same amount, and then your rank of celebrity VIP-ness figures out how close you are to the ring? Um, yes, except, well, if you're sitting on the floor. Yeah. If you're in the, like, expensive seats, yeah. essentially, yes. Because so were we you, only, like, ahead of LeBron? <laughs> I was not ahead of, Le- of LeBron. I was near... Who was I next to? I was near Jamie Foxx, who sang the national anthem at the fight, too, which was just interesting and hilarious. Um, But, yeah, it was pretty cool. And like, Who did you seat behind LeBron? What if they were, like, a really short gymnast? I have no idea. I couldn't. I wish I knew. Um, I, Well, and it's funny, too. So, like, Showtime seats, like, we had requests for mm-hmm. tickets from certain people, and then HBO had their own. So, like, we had X amount of tickets, but they were all scattered, and then we didn't know who was sitting next to people. So, like, oh. we were like, oh, we have these four seats here, but we don't know who this seat is going to be. So you just hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, you have to. Like, what if it was, like, Cardi B and Nicki Minaj? There should be, like... <laughs> Literally. Well, and that's the thing. Talks like, between the people. Take all that stuff into consideration. And what, for the very, like, front ringside seats it was. But it was pretty cool. Um, yeah. And it was awesome. And I think when we got back from that event, I was like, I think I just, like, peaked in my sports career and I'm 22 and this is the biggest event I'm ever going to work in my life and then Mayweather McGregor was announced a year later (laughs) and that was purely showtime right purely showtime we worked with the UFC Mm -hmm. um for Connor but we we did the whole broadcast but it was at that point I had switched into marketing so I actually got to do all the like giant advertising that you saw and the commercials and work on all of that stuff which was really cool and then I still helped with VIP ticketing because it's just crazy um although someone else was in my that role very cool yeah so when you say the marketing behind it yeah to me that event just sells itself yes clearly it doesn't although it probably could so what is the marketing plan behind an event like that like what does the leading up to a big event like that mm-hmm. what is the thought process what is the approach what is the to-do list like if I was in your role but I only have five minutes to figure out what had to get done in the next 
three to six months, whatever, mm-hmm. what would you like give me right off the bat? Um, so every marketing campaign starts with a brief, which is what is the goal? Who are we trying to reach? What do we need to do to do that? So it's really ma- mapping out all of that. Um, we'll use Mayweather McGregor as an example because it's easy, but it's mm-hmm. essentially the same thing for any fight. So it's looking at here are our two fighters. What's the story? For Mayweather McGregor, it's like the mega event of the clash of two sports, the two world champion fighters, Floyd's undefeated, Connor is like this personality. Like mm-hmm. you look at all the different ways you can sell and slice and dice it up and you kind of pick one or a one direction to go in. Okay. Um, for that one, it was really that it was just this massive yeah. event and it was bigger than sport okay. essentially. Because it was like bigger than one sport. It's exactly. all sports. Yeah, exactly. So who needs to say yes, yes, and that yes in order for that to go ahead? Um, head of marketing, head of the sports depart- entire department, mm-hmm. um, and probably for an event that level, I'm sure it was shared with the CEO of Showtime, I would guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you have to tell the fighters. So yeah. you have to say, what well, this is we, not necessarily the what the direction is, but more the materials. So okay. like when we produced artwork, which is like your billboards and yeah. your digital banners online and all that stuff, everything had to go through Floyd and Connor. Um, and it d- depends on the level of the fighter on whether or not you have to show them that, but for an event of that magnitude, we did. Um, same thing with the commercial. They mm-hmm. were both there. They shot it, but yeah. then when it was all finished, we had to send it back, make sure that everything was good, and then you just get your sign-off internally from everybody else. Okay. So you have a graphic design background. Did you have your hands in any of the design of that, or at a company that large, you have your own either agency that you reach out to or in-house graphic design team? It's exactly that. So okay. I don't actually... I don't actually physically touch Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, or anything these days, but when um, artwork comes across my desk, I not only have a more critical eye, but I also know how to speak the language, and I also understand how long it takes to do things or what is possible, exactly like you said, so sometimes people who don't know how to do that will be like, oh, can't you just slice his head off and add this head and put this tattoo here, and you're like, no, like, it will look ridiculous, and that's... Yeah. It's very difficult to accomplish that or whatever. Or if you want that to happen, it's going to take a week and a half and you need this yeah. artwork tomorrow. My graphic design background, I don't I don't use it, don't use the actual physical skill, but I use the mindset of it all the time in everything that I look at. Like even outside of work? Yeah, totally. I judge, I love advertising. That's, yeah. I sound like such a geek. No, I like... I- I mean, I don't work in anything like this, and I've been critical of the Victoria's Secret ads. Have you seen them on the subway lately? No. Okay, so this is my opinion, and in your graphic design and marketing expertise, critique my opinion. So, first of all, they have all of the angels promote that they're filming the show like three weeks ahead of time, which they do so that they can make the show like better for TV, and they have a whole lead up to it. I walk by the angels in their outfits every day on my way to and from work because mm. they're huge in Times Square. Yeah. On the little poles, well, yeah. large poles. Yeah. Holding up the floors of Times Square, right? Not one of them has the date of the show on it. That's a miss. <laughs> and then I finally found one of the billboardy type things or the big wall arts. The date of the show was probably the size of my hand, <laughs> and Victoria's Secret was probably the size of at least, like, 
eight by five. Yeah. And I was like, don't you think that people know that what Victoria's Secret is by now? <laughs> yeah. They should probably know when they have to turn on the TV. Yes, literally. It's actually really funny you say this because I haven't seen any of these advertisements, but I... I will am, send you pictures once... I am... When I'm going to work on Monday. Genuinely a... Oh, they're going to be down because the show's tomorrow. But anyways, uh, yeah. I'll try it. I genuinely like to watch the fashion show, and I have been looking for the date and air date, and I cannot find it. Yeah, so no one's posting it on their Instagram. <laughs> I'm like, this is why you're suffering, Elbrand. <laughs> yeah, like, it makes no sense to me. That's so true. And, like, what's funny is when, you, when you're looking at artwork and stuff, like, I know what time a fight starts, so, like, I don't always think to, like, like, I literally sure have to double check yeah. that, like, the date is there and the time is there and everything is right because in my head I'm like, oh, there's a date and a time, move on. And, like, yeah. you need to be so attention to detail that, like, stuff like that, like, one time something went out and no one noticed that, that it wasn't um, in either of my jobs. I've seen other advertising where it's like, how do you not have your air date? Exactly what you're saying. And, like, or how do you not have the time? Like, you know what time the event's going on? Like, why is it not promoted? <laughs> Wait, literally, I have not known. No, that's what... not even a graphic design thing. That's just a marketing thing. From a marketing standpoint, yeah. this is your message, or it should be, you would think. Yeah. So it's like, why is it not out there? I don't know. <laughs> but, I mean, they eventually got to me because I've been looking for the date and the time on yeah. it on an advertisement that yeah. they eventually got to me what the date and the time was. But I really have walked by this stuff for at least a week and a half being I'm like, sure. What day is it on? Yeah. <laughs> I want to watch it. I just want to watch it. What day? Okay. So going back to the serious business yeah. of McGregor. Yeah. Is he actually like, is any of it for the cameras or is that actually him? Um, any interaction that I had is exactly what, it, it, anytime I saw him during that promotion was what you were seeing on TV. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I didn't work close enough with him to see him like that much behind the scenes, mm -hmm. but anytime I saw him, it was totally that same personality. Same thing with Floyd too. Um, they're, they're professionals. They know what they're doing. Yeah. They know how to market themselves. Um, but I... Yeah, it could be like they're like method actors almost. Like once they're in fight mode, like the personality and the fighting comes out. I mean, there is like a total thought behind the fact that like fighters are different people when they're in training for a fight and like... If you catch them before this, so when fighters train for a fight, it's mm -hmm. six weeks out from the actual fight date. Why? That's just uh, uh, that's a good question. I don't even know why. Like, why not eight? Like, uh, is it not scheduled? That is sometimes a problem. Okay. <laughs> sometimes that it's not scheduled. But and... you have to give the fighters six weeks to train. Yeah. At least. At least. Exactly. But like, I mean, what if you plan a fight two to three months ahead? And that's on them. Like, they could be training if they okay. want to. But typical is that they need at least six weeks. Okay. Um. But a lot of people will say that, like, fighters are yeah. fighters during camp. And, like, outside of camp, their camp is the, like, six-week training period. Mm -hmm. Outside of camp, they're, like, Joe Schmo. We're, like, not Joe Schmo, but they're back to their normal selves. But they're, like, in full-on fight mode, especially the week of the fight. I mean, it takes a certain, like, mindset yeah. to just go beat someone up. A hundred percent. I so, think about this all the time. I'm like, I don't know that I could ever step into a ring and like punch someone else in the face. Like, yeah. That. So as much as you go boxing, you're like, I would never want someone else to be across a ring. Yeah. I like uh, a stable bag. Yeah. No, I like a stable bag that swings a little bit. Um, <laughs> and 
I personally also just don't want to be hit in the face. I've toyed with the idea of doing, there's a charity um, boxing tournament where they like train normal business people. Yeah, I think my friend's boss was in it. Haymakers for Hope is what yes. it's called. Yeah. It's at like MSG or something? Yeah, they do it every year. And I've honestly debated a few times, like, what if I just trained for this, just did it once and like yeah, saw like it happen? Yeah, like how people like want to run a marathon or something? Exactly. Okay. Um, I don't know that I actually will. I'll keep you posted, but that... I've thought about it, but then every time I think about it, I'm like, I don't want to get hit in the face. I also don't know that I could hit somebody else. Like, imagine, like, you and I, were similar size. If you were across from me in the ring, I would be like, I can't hit her. She looks so nice and smiley. Like, and, like, that's Maybe the Maybe I wouldn't be smiling if I was across from you. I would be scared not. shitless. <laughs> no, but I, I would be too, though. Like, I'd, it's not normal for me to, like, get punched in the face, so. As much as I, I enjoy the sport and, like, understand it and love it and, like, like to train in it, I, I don't know that I could actually do that. So what part of the sport do you think is technical versus innate? Um, I think technical comes into the movements that you're making mm-hmm. and the um, mental ability to like be continue, keep going past your limits and like understand that like you might be sore or it's hard, but like you your body can keep going. I think what comes with being innate is like that like warrior mentality that's like yeah. I'm going in here and I'm going to win whether whatever it takes to win which like I don't know that I have that <laughs> yeah like bite your ear off yeah like literally literally like whatever um, it takes I, yeah I think the innate is like that like so it's more so I'm like going to win the athleticism might be able to be taught and trained but the mindset needed for the sport is what you have to either like foster or be born with yeah I agree yeah that's exactly what I would say Oh, I didn't think that. That's what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I'm like, I have no yeah, idea. You're like, I just made your answer make more sense and better. Yes, exactly. So you just said something really interesting. You said that you hate PR, but it was your major. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny. So public relations has a lot of different facets and it's talent relations or pitching to media or whatever. Personally, I hate pitching to media and that's a large part of PR and that's actually why I don't do PR. Yeah. Um, for and me, what is pitching to media actually? Oh, sorry. Because, um, like, I think I understand, but maybe I don't. It's more taking your storyline to someone and begging them to write about it. Okay. Not begging, but yeah. telling them. It's it's selling them on why they should write about it and whatever, but with no financial power behind it. It's just hoping that you can convince them to write this. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a really hard job. And, like... I will, I'm, I can be salesy, yeah. but I like being in the marketing team that like has money behind it and we just, we say we want to put it here and we put it there Got as it. opposed to going and convincing people like you need to write the story about yeah. this guy for this reason and here's why and trying to like, I don't want to say schmooze, but like hold these relationships with media just so yeah. that they write for you and all of that stuff. That's just not for me. <laughs> so is that why PR is notorious, at least in New York, for having very low pay but a lot of free stuff? Because it kind of aligns with the industry. Um, I don't know that that I I don't know that that is I. You're right. That is like very much what it looks like. Maybe I don't know that that is true or not. I, I kind of, that's a really great thought that I've never thought about honestly. No, and well, I think the other thing too that comes with marketing on is when when you have a large budget, you hold a lot of responsibility. Okay. So if you spend $10 million, say, on an ad campaign, and you get no subscribers, no sales, no nothing, 
you're the one that's, that it's like, hey, you spent this money and you said you were going to have X amount of sales and you have no sales. So you're the one that's on, on the hook for yeah. that. Um, so I think that's why the pay difference varies because I think that there is a responsibility of the marketing team with yeah. a larger budget that and maybe it even, makes the job a little bit, yeah. quote unquote, riskier, I guess. And also potentially easier to track. You can say you oh, yeah. spent 10... You have data. Yeah, you yeah. have data behind it. Exactly. You can say, like, I spent... $10 million and I got a hundred million dollars of sales on that. Mm-hmm. So next time we do this, we need $20 million to get probably like $220 million of sales. Like yeah. hoping that there's like some correlation, correlation and, and people coming and, back and all of that. Yeah, exactly. And that you don't have to work as hard the second time around to get that. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. But yeah, PR is pitching and selling and, but without the firepower of a budget behind you. And I personally like to have the firepower of a budget behind me, knowing well, you that. You don't it like accounting. So, how do you handle that? Um, if you ask any of my coworkers now, it's like, it's not that it's a pain point, but it's just, it's my annoyance. Like, yeah. it's the part of the job that I don't love, but I do it anyway, obviously. Do you find it difficult? Like, or more difficult than the other parts of the job that you do love? I don't know that I find it more difficult. It's just more uh, annoying to me. Okay. Um, but it's something that's necessary. And yeah. I know that. And it, it just takes a lot of organization and it's tedious. It takes time to go in and keep track of every single yeah. penny that you're spending and where it's going and why. But as much and as also, I like, did Excel will do the math for you now. You don't exactly. actually have to do the math. Where, exactly. Like, in an accounting class, you're going to have to. Yeah. And like accounting class is like a much deeper dive yeah. than what I have to do on a daily basis. Like, I mean, I track my personal finances very closely, like just from like a budgeting mm-hmm. millennial in New York yeah. need. So it's not that I can't do it. It's just, it's not fun to me, yeah. but I know that it's necessary. And I'm, I mean, I learn a lot from it every day. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a skill that you need in any job. Like you yeah. need to be able to track a budget. I don't care what career path you go on. Yeah, it's literally my Everyone's, job. <laughs> everyone is tracking a budget. Even the PR team is tracking a budget. They still yeah. have a budget for events and whatever. Yeah. Um, it just matters what you, it's just what your budget is and what you're spending it on. And also like justifying why you're spending money on X, Y, or Z things. And do you have data to back it up? Like we're at a time where data is so big now and like you have to use it and you should be using it to make educated decisions. And I think that I'm not a full-blown data person. I really like data and I'm Mm -hmm. like kind of a little bit of a nerd about it. But I think there's also still... um, Like do you love digging into it? Do you love figuring out new ways of tracking data? Like what do you mean you're a nerd? I like to read feedback data on why people make decisions or like what what is driving what. So for okay. example, if say you and I had a business and we put an advertisement out on Instagram and it got 300 clicks and 25 of them converted and purchased our product mm-hmm. and they came from Google, Instagram, Twitter, and somewhere else. I just like to learn why people do things, and okay. I think that data g- gives you a yeah. really clear picture on how to do that. There are people that think that, like, you have data, you must do what the data says. I don't necessarily believe that either. Um, yeah. I think that creativity and having a creative mind is still important. Mm-hmm. So sometimes there is data that backs something, but there is also an addition of an idea, a gut check, a gut feeling that it's like, you know what, we have data that shows us this, but we have education that shows us this yeah let's put the two together and go in a middle path as opposed to just strictly following numbers is any part of your job in marketing seeking out new talent no um we work with 
promoters. So in the boxing industry, promoters are like managers. Some fighters have managers and promoters. What's the difference if they have both? Is it just the size of like their, their payment? Um, <laughs> kind of. Managers manage their career. Promoters promote them to get better fights. Okay, so um, a promoter's kind of like an agent of like a celebrity? Yes. Where a manager is like a Chris Jenner. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's a really good way to put it. Um, yeah, so promoters are the ones getting them the job. Mm-hmm. So, and they are also the ones that then promote, they like hype the fight and they make sure, they work with marketing to hype everything that's going on and mm-hmm. make sure that like the story of the fight is out there and all of that stuff. Okay. Oh. No one ever comes and says, this might not be the best fight ever, but the story behind it, that's going to, and it's going to sell. That happens sometimes. Okay. Okay. And that's how you sell fights too, because you have to tell the story. It's not like the NFL where you say, there's an NFL game on and everybody in the planet knows that the NFL is this behemoth of a yeah. ed- entity. Um, in fight sports, every fight is a different person, different people, different everything. Yeah. Other than your broadcast, essentially. So you have to go in and tell those stories and get... Like, boxing needs superstars. So the reason that, like, I think personally that the boxing industry right now is, like, I don't want to call it wishy-washy, but, like, it's coming back around. The sport needs superstars for people to care. Like, you know names like Mike Tyson because they are just, like, superstar athletes. Boxing needs those because they're not... not, There aren't teams to follow. You need to follow the person. So at the moment, like, Floyd is one of those. Um, Floyd Mayweather, and he was like a big name that casual people across the country knew who Floyd Mayweather was. Okay. Um, so it was harder to is. get like Conor McGregor's name out there. Um, not really for Conor because he's kind of the same way. He's okay. like a UFC superstar. But now in boxing, Canelo Alvarez is the larger largest name that comes to mind for me. Okay. Um, other than maybe Deontay Wilder, who's the heavyweight champion in the U.S. So if you're a heavyweight champion, I'm like really going all over the place. No, that's okay. If you're a heavyweight champion, how much do you weigh? Um, you have to weigh, or you don't have to weigh anything actually. You weigh over 200 pounds. The weight you classes, have to? Um, I mean, you, so, you would sorry, just be dumb just... to not. Okay, so the weight classes are? The weight classes are specific points that fighters need to be under. Mm-hmm. So if Middleweight is 148, I think. Um, they have to be under 148 and up to 148. Mm-hmm. But they can be as skinny as they want. It would yeah, just be like, dumb. Yeah, but why? Because like, exactly. then you're going to have to fight someone that's potentially 20 pounds heavier. Exactly. For heavyweights, it's the opposite. They have an open cap at the top. Okay. And then it would just be smart to be over 200 pounds. Because if you were less than 200 pounds, you could fight a weight class below. If you weigh under 200 pounds, yeah. you, there's, a, like, there's a ton of weight classes. There's like oh, 20 okay. of them or however many, there's a step down from heavyweight. It's called cruiserweight. Okay. You could fight at cruiserweight if you were under 200 pounds. Got it. Because then you'd be in that weight class. But if you're above there, heavyweight, you could be whatever weight you want to be. So why does the public know heavyweight champion of the world way more than cruiserweight champion of the world? (laughs) Because I think heavyweights are just... They're more of, like, spectacle for people to watch because they're these, like, bigger-than-life athletes okay um like Deontay Wilder who's fighting this weekend he is I think two uh, I want to say he's like 220 pounds okay but he's like six six or six seven so he's just huge so it's more so like you're plucking like a huge athlete that's could be either on the Knicks or the Giants yeah but just happens to be really good at fighting yeah so they're still the same like 
when the American public thinks of a superstar athlete, they're exactly. thinking of baseball, football, yeah, m- maybe hockey, depending on where they're from. Yeah, exactly. And basketball. Mm-hmm. And these people in their mind are like these huge, over six feet two, yeah. behemoth, just super athletic people. Exactly. And now you're just bringing them into the fighting arena. So they're like, oh, I know that type of person. They're going to be great to watch. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And I think people like heavyweights just because like heavyweights produce more knockouts. Like you, oh, you they're, sure. they're bigger, they're more powerful. So yeah. like, people get excited when people hit the mat. So yeah. like um, the smaller, lighter weight fighters are actually more exciting fights in my opinion because there's a lot more action and a lot more punches thrown. Mm-hmm. But they... They go down sometimes, but not as often as a heavyweight. Like, when a heavyweight knockout happens, like, it's yeah. like, oh my god, he so is out cold. Maybe you've convinced me to watch some more fights. <laughs> we'll watch some together. Maybe, yeah. uh, well, I'll be working the Canelo fight, but I'll tell you some good ones to watch. Do you find that people come into sports thinking they're going to love working in sports and then realize they need a little bit more, like, ahead of time thinking or planning for their in order to do a good job? I think that a lot of people think it's cool to work in sports Mm -hmm. and a lot of people there's two ways you could end up with that is you come in and you think it's really cool and then you realize how much work and how difficult it can be um, and how much you're sacrificing like all of your weekends (laughs) Um, and I think that some people come in knowing that that's going to be the case and are ready for it and kind of like open arms like hit me with your best shot and Mm -hmm. like they're ready to go but I do think a lot of people learn quickly that it, sports isn't for them. Um, I don't. I don't want to say a lot of people. I think people definitely do learn that. Yeah. If, if you're I wasn't, learn that sports isn't for you, it will happen quick. Yeah. If I wasn't passionate about what I'm doing, like I'm the kind of person that I don't want a job where I just go to my job and I do my job because I get a paycheck from it and I like clock in, clock out, leave. Like that's mm-hmm. not me. I want to love what I'm doing and be so excited to go to work and do what I'm doing that. It just shows and reflects in everything that I do. And I think that to work and succeed in sports, you have to be passionate. Because if you're not, working in sports could be absolutely miserable for you. Like, I was on two 6 a.m. flights two weeks ago, and I went to Mulvane, Kansas. And I had the best time ever because I was at a fight, I was working on what I love, and, like, it didn't matter that I was in Kansas. Um, If you're not into it, giving up your weekend to sit in an arena with a bunch of sweaty dudes hitting each other maybe not your scene like um so I think that that's really like what you it's not a learning it's like you're either in this mindset for this Mm -hmm. world or you're not that makes sense okay well thank you Hannah you're welcome this has been awesome I hope everyone has learned something about either working in sports working in marketing how to have a successful college internship how to raise your hand and voice for yourself. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've touched on a lot of really good points here. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you think so. We really did. Now that you're going back, I'm like, wow, we talked about literally everything I've Literally done. everything. Well, thank you again.